Uh, it is a great privilege to be here with you this morning. I want to thank everyone who's here in person, uh, from the sound booth, all of you who are in the worship team. Thank you so much. Um, it's a great, great privilege to be here to preach God's word to you this morning. You'll notice that uh, I got demoted a little bit because there's the, there's the cool microphone that you put on. Last time I was here, I had a real hard time with it. I couldn't get to go on and off. I had it on during the worship times. So everyone heard me singing, so, so that was embarrassing. And so today I'm back to the regular microphone, but maybe I'll work myself back up to that. But uh, wherever you are uh, around Sao Paulo, around the world, uh, it's wonderful to have you with us today. I'd like to thank especially uh, the people from Fellowship Church who are joining us online. It's wonderful to have you here, and we welcome you. And I know that you would much rather have my dad preaching today. Uh, but, you, you know, it is what it is, and so hopefully there's a few similarities between my preaching and his. If you'll take your Bible today and turn to Luke chapter 18, Luke 18, starting with verse 9, we're going to tackle a big issue today, and this is an important one. It's something that really matters because it's your eternal destiny that rests on your understanding this issue. So let's, let's look exactly at what God's Word says. Luke 18, uh, beginning with verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now we hear this passage, and we, we hear about the Pharisee, and the first word that probably comes to your mind is hypocrite. In the Bible, Jesus did call the Pharisees hypocrites, and so we think of those people um, who pretended to be religious, but were actually hypocrites, and they opposed Jesus. In fact, they were the group that most opposed Jesus uh, throughout Jesus' ministry. But that is not the point of this parable. There is nothing in this parable that would show us that this Pharisee was a hypocrite. You see, the people at that time, when Jesus told this parable, would have seen the Pharisees as the most religious, the most upstanding people that there were. They were the Michael Jordans of religion. This Pharisee is being truthful when he says that he's not a robber, he's not an evildoer, he's not an adulterer, that he's not like the tax collector. That's all true. So what's the problem? God wants us to be good, right? He wants us to be nice people, do good things, and, and don't judge, and don't be racist, and wear your face mask wherever you go. Is that a good summary of what the Bible's all about, what God wants for us? No, it's not. Let's take a closer look at this Pharisee. His prayer says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not like the robbers or evildoers, adulterers, and not like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. You see, the point here is that this Pharisee is a good man from the human point of view. He's moral. He's an example to others. He pays his taxes. 
He does all the right things. In fact, he's one of those guys that when he signs up for something new on the internet and they have that license agreement and it says, have you read the whole thing before you check the little box? He actually reads it. He reads the whole thing. And then he puts a little checks in the box. He does lots of good things. He helps the old lady cross the street. He gives money to charity. He cares about the environment. He's not racist. He participates in things to make the world more fair and more just. And he recycles. This is a good man. So let's be clear. He's good. He takes care of his family. He does all the right things. He does even more than he has to. You've got to understand the point of this passage here, the point of this parable, is that he is good, humanly speaking. He's respected. He's an example. But he does not understand. He's not right with God. And he's religious. Look at this. Look at where he goes. He goes to the temple. God is his focus. He fasts twice a week. Now, in the Old Testament, there was only one fast that was prescribed, and that was once a year. And this man is fasting twice a week. Again, we read the Bible, and we automatically assume that he's a hypocrite. But actually, the Pharisees at that time were people who were so concerned about God's law, they didn't even want to come close to breaking God's law. So what they would do is they would build up other laws to keep them from even getting close to breaking God's law. So when God's law says, uh, do not work on the Sabbath, they would define exactly what work was. And they would define how many steps you could take in, what you could carry and what you could not carry. Again, the desire there was to not even get close to disobeying God. It was not out of a desire to be a hypocrite in any way. The Pharisees would tithe not only a tenth of the, their crops, as the law required, but they would even tenth, uh, they would also give a tithe of their garden herbs. Now, you might, you have to picture this for a minute, okay? So here's Mr. Pharisee, he's in the kitchen, he's making some spaghetti sauce, and he gets his, his basil, and he's dividing it up, and oh, it smells so good. And, and so he takes, and he takes 10%, and he sets it aside, and he said, hey, this is for God. Now, there's a part of us that would, that would mock that a little bit, right? Let's be honest, we think that's pretty silly. But again, his desire is to please God. His desire is to do what's right, to be right in every little area of his life. If this guy lived today, if the Pharisee lived today, his devotions would start at 5 o'clock in the morning. He would, he would spend about an hour in prayer. He'd spend an hour reading his Bible. His spiritual disciplines would put us all to shame. He memorizes the Bible. He knows more about the Bible than you do, and he'd probably tell you that. As far as everything that we know, the Pharisee did all the right things. In theology class, he got an A+. In morality class, he got an A+. So what's the problem here? What is the problem? Well, for one thing, we see that his prayer isn't really a prayer. It's more of a list of everything that he's done right. His biggest problem, his biggest problem is he's got his eyes on himself. He's not looking to Jesus Christ for his righteousness. He doesn't see his own sinfulness. He doesn't realize how desperately he still needs God to justify him. He's so busy patting himself on the back, he's about to break his arm. And here's the part that you can't miss. You're coming to church. You're doing religious things. You're reading your Bible. Those things will not save you. And hanging around people that do those things will not save you either. It's possible, it's even likely, according to the Bible, that you might come to church every week or at least turn it on. That you might, that you might be all around religious things for a great part of your life. And here's a scary point, that you might miss what it's all about. 
You might walk away from church the same way that you walk in. You depended on yourself on the way into church, and you depended on yourself on the way out. And if you don't humble yourself and accept the gift of salvation that God gives you, you're missing the whole point. You've got to see how important this is. And you see, that's what this parable is all about. Look at how it begins. Look at how it begins in verse 9. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness. You see, the Pharisee, he got an A-plus on the religious test. He got an A-plus on the being good test. But the problem was, he had a failing grade before he even walked into the classroom. He was moral and religious, but he had a sin nature. His sinful nature led him to pride and self-reliance. You see, he was failing a test that he didn't even know he was taking. And see, that's the problem. He kept comparing himself to others rather than comparing himself to God's righteous, holy, perfect standard. It's like getting an A-plus on the test and realizing you're not even going to the right school. Let's look at the tax collector. The tax collector stood a long way off. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are some translations that say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, this man went home justified rather than the other. You have to get how bad the tax collector was in that time. When Jesus, when Jesus gave this parable, you have to realize just how bad. It's not just that they were dishonest. It goes way beyond that. This man was a traitor to his country. The Jewish people had been conquered by Rome. Rome had a repressive and brutal army, and they would conquer people and humiliate them. And once they had completely subjugated this people, they would need someone, they would start collecting taxes, heavy taxes, but they needed someone to join them to show them where the money was. The money would kind of just disappear. But they knew there were people who knew where the money was, and so they would find uh, someone to, to be a traitor and work for the Romans. And so you have to picture this. There's this big crowd of, of Jewish people, and the Romans have conquered them, and, and they have their swords out, and they say, all right, and we want one of you to come work for us, and you're going to collect taxes for us, and, and, and by the way, you're going to get a lot of money off of this. And some guy in the back says, I will. I'll do that. Can you picture how much we would hate that guy? And he comes up there, and, and, and he starts working for the Romans, and he's dishonest, and he takes money for himself in addition to what he takes for the Romans. You have to get how bad this guy going to church with his family. Meanwhile, the, the tax collector is the kind of person, he's in the bars, he's at the casino. Uh, he's the kind of person that when, 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 they, when people see him coming down the street, people put their hands over their kid's eyes. Don't, don't look over there. There's that tax collector. All right. This guy was a weasel. And for those of you that know me, now you know why I love this passage so much. What's shocking, what is absolutely shocking here is that this man, the tax collector, is the one who goes home justified, righteous before God. Now, why is that? It's because despite of his lifetime of guilt and sin and shame, he got it. He got it. He felt conviction. He knew that he was unworthy. And that's why he didn't even look up to heaven. He hits himself in the chest and that was his way of showing his brokenness and his repentance. Key word there, repentance. Have you ever had someone apologize to you? And as they apologize, you're just realizing that it's not really an apology at all. And they'll say something like, I'm sorry, you got upset about what I did. <laughs> We've all had those kind of apologies. And you're like, no, you don't get it. This guy gets it. His sin hurts him. 
And he cries out to God with a very simple prayer. There's something beautiful here. He doesn't have to use big words. Your prayers don't have to have big words for God to, to hear you and understand. All he says is, God, have mercy on me, a great sinner. So why did God accept his, his prayer? Why did God um, accept him as righteous? What well, has to do with his repentance? It has to do that he took his eyes off himself and he looked only to God for his righteousness. Now, I don't want you to think here that the, the tax collector was the bad guy, and so he's the one who needed God, whereas the Pharisee was pretty good, and that's why he didn't need God. No, they both needed God. It's just the tax collector realized it, but the Pharisee didn't. Now, let me nerd out here for a minute on you. When the tax collector asked for God's mercy, what he actually asked for was propitiation. What the tax collector realized, and the Pharisee didn't realize, was that God was, because of his sin, God had become his enemy. Propitiation, then, is the appeasing of God's anger, his wrath. Now, I know that we like to think of, of God as kind of this, this old guy up in heaven, kind of a grandfatherly figure on his rocking chair with a big beard, and we come in and say, oh, God, I sinned again, and he just kind of winks at us and says, oh, that's no big deal. Come on, just try a little bit harder next time. We like to think that about God, but that's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is storing up righteous judgment for those who sin against him. That he's holy and he's just and he judges all sin. And you see, that's what the tax collector, that's what was going on in his mind. That's what he realized. My sin has made me an enemy of God. And God's going to judge me. And I'm in big trouble. He realizes that there is a tidal wave of God's judgment and wrath coming on him. And all he can do is put up his arms and say, God, forgive me. God, have mercy. God, protect me. That's propitiation, that someone would step in and protect you from God's wrath. Now, you might be thinking, but wait a minute. I don't really see God in that way. I don't think so. I think that God's actually a God of love. It doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? Well, let me put it to you this way. God is completely loving, but he's also completely fair. He's completely just. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're driving along in your new car, and your, your new car is pretty cool. It's pretty fast, and so you decide to go as fast as you can go on, on this street, and you're going about 100 miles an hour, and you're feeling good, and you got your, your music playing, and all of a sudden, this is the States, right? So the light's going behind you. They're not taking a picture of your license plate. The, 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 the cops are behind you, and they pull you over. Oh, no, that sick, that sick feeling. I wouldn't ever know what that was like. And uh, he pulls you over, and, and the, the cop says, do you have any idea how you were looking at that, feeling pretty cool at the time? And the cop says, I'm so sorry. What you have done is you, you, you're past getting just a ticket. You're going to have to appear in court for this. This is a, a whole separate category. You're doing 100 miles an hour in a 50-mile-an-hour zone. But you realize that your dad is the judge at the local courthouse. And you say, this is awesome. This is awesome. My dad's the judge, and, and I'm going to get off free. But then you think a little bit more. And you realize everything you know about your dad. And you're like, you know what? Come to think of it, he's a good judge. He's a fair judge. And everybody who's guilty, he makes them pay. Everybody who's innocent, he lets them go free. And you know what? I'm guilty. I'm totally guilty. I chose to go that fast. Now you start. So you go to court and you walk in there and, and the police officer tells the, your dad, the judge, how fast you were going, and he thinks about it for a little bit, and he says, you know what? Guilty as charged. And he says, you're going to either pay $500 or 
or spend a week in prison. Well, you don't have $500. So the police officer comes up. He's about to put the handcuffs on you and lead you away. And your dad, the judge, stands up and says, wait a minute. And he comes down and he pulls out his wallet and he pays $500 so you can be free. You see, in that moment, your, your dad, the judge, is completely fair. He has judged you for what you did wrong and you deserved it. But he also paid the price to set you free. Now, you could argue, right? You could argue that $500 is too much or that maybe you weren't really going that fast or you could come up with some excuses, but think about it. The definition of justice is that justice punishes evil. We don't like to think of ourselves as evil. God's word says that uh, sin makes us an enemy of God, but it also says that God has prepared a way for us to be saved. Your heavenly father has paid the price and in doing so, he is both just and and loving. So propitiation then is this, is that your sin has brought a tidal wave of God's judgment on you, but then he steps in himself to absorb all that punishment. The hymn writer put it this way, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. There's a modern hymn that we sing here at church, and it says, Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. And Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the greatest deal ever. Jesus took on himself all of our sin and all of his righteousness went on to us. That's propitiation. And Jesus ends his parable by saying, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Now, justification is another word that we've got to understand. This is so important. You need to know what this means. Justification is actually a legal word because in God's courtroom, you are guilty, completely guilty. Guilty as charged. And so he picks up the little gavel and he's about to bang it there. And you say, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I, by faith, have asked him to be my savior. And, and, and he died for me. And I, I believe that. And I'm not basing what I've, my, my salvation on my own righteousness. I'm basing it on Christ's righteousness. And God says, all right. And he bangs the gavel down. And he says, I declare you righteous, innocent. You are my child. You are no longer guilty. You're no longer condemned. That is justification. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, listen to me when I hear that. Listen when I say that. Let me say it one more time. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That means none. Every sin, past, present, future, it all went on to Jesus Christ. And he paid the price. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but I still sin. I still have these problems. I'm not one of those super Christians. I'm no saint. I fail, and I fail a lot. I have these sins, and I just can't get past them. Listen to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Even if you're not a super Christian, even if you don't feel it, even if you're a regular Christian like me, a Christian that fails, 
a Christian who could barely put one foot in front of the other sometimes. This is God's word for you today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, what the Bible teaches is when God bangs down that gavel, he doesn't say, you're righteous, you may go. He says, you're righteous, you are my child, and you can stay. Once justified, every single blessing of Christ is in you. Every blessing. Christ's righteousness is now yours. You have every right of a child of God. All that Christ is counts to you. Jesus takes your test of your failing life, and he writes his name at the top, and God gives you the A+. By the way, this is one way that you can know that you're going to heaven. This is one way that you can know that you're saved because it's not about your righteousness. It's about his righteousness in you. This is how you can know you can live with God forever and ever. Your salvation is as sure as Jesus is good. Romans 8 also puts it this way. For those God foreknew, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. There's our word, justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see, once this process begins, once you start and once you have that ticket of, of justification and you get on that train, there's no stopping because God's in control and he's the one working in you and he's going to work everything for your good and his glory. Once by faith you start that, that process, God's going to lead you all the way there. I want you to picture something for a minute. I want you to picture yourself as a 12-year-old, all right? You're a young 12-year-old, and you have gotten a free, very special ticket to Disney World. You've never been to Disney World, and you can't wait to get there. And you got to picture this. You show up in that huge parking lot, and you park. And as you park, this special golf cart comes up and says, here you are. Here's, here's your ride. And you hop in there, and you go up to a, a very special entrance, and there's a whole staff there waiting for you. And they say, welcome to Disney World. And you walk in there, and, and you see the Magic Kingdom, and you see the castle, and you see all the rides, and it's just amazing. It's just so beautiful. You, you can't believe it. And they say, you know what? Um, everything for you today is free. Everything. All the rides. And you get to cut in line. You don't have to wait in line. You can go to the front of every line. And, and uh, every food, every shop, it's free. Because you know why? We've decided to make you part owner of Disney World. You see, that special ticket is justification. Once you're right in God's sight, Romans teaches us that we have every privilege of God's children. We are his heirs. We're owners. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And I know, I know you still sin. I get that. I'm right there with you. We still struggle. And sometimes we don't even struggle, right? Let's be honest. Sometimes we just give in to sin right away. But don't think that your worst sin no matter how bad or how persistent, is somehow greater or stronger than the price that God paid for you. Don't think that. When you understand that you've been completely forgiven, you're going to understand what a big deal it is that God died in your place. Justification then means that you've been completely redeemed, completely washed clean, dared, declared righteous by your faith in Christ, even if you can't feel it right now. All of God's punishment was poured out on him. And I want to make one thing really clear today. If you hear nothing else that I say, listen to this, please. Whatever you're walking through today, whatever hardship 
God has allowed you, if you are in Christ, it is not punishment. It's not punishment. All that punishment went on him. He does discipline his children sometime out of love because he's, he wants to help them, but it's not punishment. Let me apply these lessons to our lives here. The first lesson I want you to think about is, do you rely on your own morality? Do you rely on your own religion? There's lots of good, sincere people that are not saved. Please don't miss this today. Being religious will not save you. Coming to church and reading your Bible and all the spiritual disciplines, they will not save you. You need a righteousness outside of yourself. You need Christ's righteousness. One of the saddest stories in the Bible is just in the same chapter we just read, just a few verses down, it's the story of the rich young ruler. And here was a good, good guy, a likable guy, successful and religious and good. He followed God's law. And he came to Jesus. He's doing everything right. Check every box. He does the right things. He's religious, looking for Jesus. And he goes and he meets with Jesus. And then he walks away. He walks away. He walked away from God. Don't do that today. Only faith in Christ can save you. When you finally get it, when you finally repent that you're a sinner, your sin has offended God, you can stop trusting yourself so much. There's so much freedom there. You can look to the only one who will make you more and more like him. You'll stop thinking, oh, if I just tried a little harder, if I just did a little bit better, you're going to let Christ's righteousness work in you. When you realize just how amazing it is that God would die in your place, that changes everything. The way you worship, the way you see your future, the way you see the worst thing God's ever allowed to happen in your life, it's all changed by that. Now, some of you are thinking, I know all that. I know all that. I've already accepted Christ as my Savior. I understand justification. I even kind of knew what propitiation was. I know all that. But I think that a lot of us today, what we struggle with is, although we know in our heads that, that, that Jesus died and his righteousness is ours, we still want to make our salvation a little bit more about what we've done. We have this amazing ability to make everything about us, even our salvation. And so we want to put in our own righteousness in there rather than relying on Christ. And when we do that, when we start making our salvation a little bit more about what, what we've done, we become like that Pharisee. And um, Nancy Lee DeMoss gives a wonderful description of what it's like to be proud like this Pharisee. And I want you to know, I want you to ask right now, let the Holy Spirit work in your heart, is, are these some of these things that would apply to your life? A proud Pharisee focuses on the failure of others. Are you self-righteous? Do you have a critical, fault-finding spirit? Are you defensive when criticized? Because your theme in life is that everyone needs to see you as respectable. Are you so concerned about what everyone will think of you? Because one of your main goals is to protect your reputation. Is it difficult for you to share your spiritual needs with others? Are you able to be open with other people? Are you worried that one day somebody's going to find out about your sin? Does your family know that you almost never say, I was wrong, please forgive me? If so, you're sounding a lot like that Pharisee. On the other hand, if you're a humble person, if you're more like the tax collector, you're overwhelmed with a sense of your own spiritual need, and you know that you have nothing to offer God, but you're humbled by how much you need to learn. You're able to receive criticism with a humble, open heart, 
In fact, when people come and criticize you, you might say, oh, you don't even know the worst of it. There's, it's a lot worse than you think. Are you willing to be open and transparent with people? Are you willing to be exposed? Are you quick to admit your failure and seek God's forgiveness? Do you stop comparing yourself to others and you start comparing yourself to God's holiness? And are you desperate for his mercy? Do you have a continual heart for repentance? Are you able to look at yourself and say like this, I'm so bad, Jesus had to die to save me. And in closing, please don't walk away from this message saying, well, we got to be more humble. That's not the point. Your humility won't save you any more than your religion will save you. It's not about being humble or, or proud. It's about looking for Christ's righteousness. The whole point is you can't save yourself, not with your humility or any other spiritual discipline. You can't do that. Look away from yourself and ask for Christ to come in. Ask for his righteousness to be yours. When you put your eyes on Christ, when you do what that tax collector did, he will begin that process of making you more like him. And believe me, it's a process. When you take to heart, when you take to heart Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation. Let those words sink in. There is so much joy and freedom there. When you take that to heart, there is therefore now no condemnation. God has declared me righteous and innocent. And I am his child. Then you can have a life of joy and freedom. And that's the way he wants you to live. Being quick to repent. Quick to run back to him. Forgetting about your precious reputation. You keep your eyes on Christ. The only one who can save you. And make you more like him. Let's pray. Lord, we admit how much we need you. Lord, we are desperate for you. And we often don't even know it. Lord, your judgment your, is righteous and we deserve it. But Jesus stepped in. You sent your son to step in and shield us. And he absorbed all that sin. God, make us more like you. Oh, how we need you to step in and, and change our, our hearts and, and make us more like you. We trust you, God, not only for our salvation, but for our sanctification. And Lord, where we are failing and weak and broken, Lord, please build us back up. We keep our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.